excretory is probably the most common portal of entry for organisms. Um, and of course, we want to hear over what all of the defenses are. We're not going to do that again here. Uh, or we've done that part. Uh, now, normal biota, uh, we always divide, as you remember from anatomy, we divide the respiratory tract into upper and lower, with the uh, basically the larynx being the dividing line. The epiglottis, so you know, right about that's the dividing line, and so the upper tract has lots of stuff in it. Gram positives, streptococci, staphylococci. Uh, there can be some gram negatives. Uh, you often find inside the nasal areas, or even into the throat of people, uh, Haemophilus influenzae, Neisseria meningitides, uh, you know, Staph aureus, Streptomyogenes. These are not uncommon in individuals. Not that everybody has them all, and you usually have them all, or any of them, all the time. But they are transiently there, okay? And most of the time, they don't cause any trouble at all. Uh, they just kind of hang out. Uh, obviously, on occasion, they do a lot more than that. Uh, now, uh, there are a, a large number of normal uh, biota as well. Uh, that uh, that are non-pathogenic, and basically they tend to inhibit the pathogen simply because because it's an antagonism between it's you know they take up space, they take up nutrients, and so on. Uh, and so this is just a list of some of the uh, which we would normally find lots of the uh, Corynebacterium, Candida, Albicans is quite common. Uh, so lots and lots of different different things. Uh, you also are going to find uh, uh, strep mutans in the mouth. Uh, that's common. That's what causes tooth decay. That's one of the primary causes of tooth decay. So you know, you start up at the mouth end, and it, it's uh, a real it's a zoo. Okay, um, th there can be as many as 200 different organisms that can be isolated in people's mouths. There's a lot of stuff. Okay, now uh, as you move down the respiratory tract, though. And particularly once you go into the lower respiratory tract, those areas are normally do not have any uh, microbes in them. And so that division between upper and lower will be used for diseases for first, but it also is a dividing line between areas that are always going to have organisms in them and those and areas that, uh, for instance, the lungs, are normally uh, microbe-free. Okay, at least they're supposed to be. All right. I don't always make it, but usually, uh, and not much gets down the trachea, so you know, you relatively, relatively free. All right, so we're going to divide things between uh, upper and lower, uh, and so we're first of all going to look at upper respiratory tract diseases. Okay, uh, and the first one is the simplest one, that's the one that we've all had, and that's a cold. Uh, it's, called, it's referred to as rhinitis. Um, you know what the standard symptoms are, you know, runny nose, uh, sneeze, you know, so on. Get the, the draining down the throat, which is a real pain. Um, you, symptoms usually start pretty quickly uh, after infection. Cold does not normally have fever. So if you have a fever, it's usually not a cold, it's something else. Right? Uh, this is, uh, these are the orange little dots you see there. Those are all rhinoviruses. Those are the, the common cause for, for colds. Um, these, you, usually you don't stay sick with them for very long. Uh, I mean, some people longer than others, but and 
anywhere from three to three to five days, and it's usually pretty much over with. Okay? Now, the problem here is, and why there is no uh, real prevention in terms of a, a, uh, a vaccine for something that is this common, is that there's over 200 different strains of rhinovirus. You cannot make a vaccine for that many things. This is not possible to do. Uh, most vaccines have at most three strains in them, three things. That's that's usually at most. So, uh, so really, uh, it doesn't warrant a vaccine. Most people don't get that ill. It's just one of those things we have to put up with. Um, when you have one strain and you get over it, you have immunity to that strain. But there's if there's 200 of them out there over your lifetime, you can collect. You can get quite a collection of different strains, and, and therefore you're going to get a cold a number of times. Okay, this is the way it's going to work. Uh, mostly, uh, the issue is they attach to the nasal uh, mucosa. Uh, most of your symptoms are really caused by the uh, inflammatory response, but you know, you know, the extra fluid, the runny nose, you know, dripping down your throat, all the sneezing. That's all caused by really the inflammatory response of the body. Okay, so prevention is hygiene, and it really isn't any treatment. Uh, uh, you can treat the symptoms. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. If, yeah, you can do that. You can uh, take antihistamines, you know, things like that. will treat the symptoms. Okay, so that that's uh, the common cold. Okay, upper respiratory. Now the next upper respiratory is sinusitis, and a little more serious. Uh, Lots of things can set it off, uh, but and it isn't always even infectious. Some people's sinuses are just not structurally correct, so that they won't drain very well, and they can end up with sinusitis. They don't even have an infection. Uh, now that can be corrected surgically. So the, the basic symptoms, you've all probably had this at some time or another. You feel pressure where one of the sinuses is, whether it's up here or down here. Those are the two most common places. Um, you get uh, you get a little swelling. Um, now, if it's a bacterial infection, the uh, mucus when you blow your nose or that, that comes out is going to be yellow or green. That tells you it's a bacterial infection that can be treated with antibiotics. Okay. Uh, if it's clear, uh, then it's an allergy, and often viral. Viral infections of the sinuses do not generally produce that nice green, yellowish uh, mucus. Uh, it's more when you move more clear. And of course, for an allergy, you have limited options for treatment, and for viruses, pretty limited options. Um, so, uh, you, most majority of people that get them, it is uh, it is bacterial, um, unless it is uh, it continues. You know, it's lingering. Um, usually they don't do much but give you an antibiotic. Uh, there are occasional fungal forms of sinusitis. Um, these are difficult. Um, uh, you can use of antifungals, but really what you have to do is you've got to get the fungus out. Um, I, I have had people, this does not usually happen in people with normal immune systems. Uh, that's pretty rare. But I, I do know people that have had, and I'm not sure what all is involved, but they've had their sinuses scraped. I'm not even sure what's involved. It just sounds really awful to me, you know, just the thought of it. Uh, but apparently it clears them out and makes them, makes them drain more easily. 
Uh, one of the things you may notice uh, when you have, when your sinuses are bothering you, uh, if you get down on all fours, it gets better. Uh, remember, all of our ancestors were four-legged critters. Uh, our bodies have not entirely adapted to being on two legs yet. And so uh, that's what, that does not help your sinuses at all. Down on all fours, they will drain much better. Of course, you can also hit the pressure points uh, if you don't mind the pain goes with that, and that will help them drain. Okay, so sinusitis, upper respiratory. This goes uh, is, is usually included here because normally the inflammation starts in the nasal area and moves up the eustachian tubes and into the, uh, the uh, middle ear. Uh, so it's called acute otitis media. That's basically the typical kid's ear infections. Not common in adults, uh, but quite common in children. Uh, basically, you get an inflammation. You get a buildup of, the, and so the inflate the eustachian tubes do not allow drainage from the middle ear. You get an accumulation of fluid in the middle ear that presses up against the, the, uh, the tympanic membrane, which is very sensitive, causes pain. And when young children have it, they do what young children always do when something hurts. They cry. Uh, you know, and that, that basically, all you can do is uh, get rid of the infection. Uh, now, uh, it can, if, not, if it's not treated or if it happens often enough, it can cause damage to the eardrum, and in very young children, uh, usually one of the reasons that they, they surgically insert tubes into the eustachian tube, tubes that cannot swell shut, uh, is because it really affects their ability to learn to talk. If you can't hear the words, it's really hard to say the words. You know, that's how children learn much of their speech, is by listening to their parents. Uh, and so if, they're, if, if, it's, uh, if what they're hearing is like they're underwater, uh, they don't hear well, and they don't speak. They don't learn to speak. And so, if it, this is a recurring problem for young, very, very young children, that's when they usually go to the surgical implantation of the tubes. Now, remember, the kids are really, really young then; they're small. The tubes are really tiny, and eventually, as they grow, the, the station tubes get larger, and those tubes simply, normally, simply fall out, and they swallow them, and that's the end of them. Uh, you know, but uh, so, but this is a pretty common. Uh, uh, disorder. Uh, almost all children have an ear infection occasionally, but there are children who get them repeatedly, like every other month they have another ear infection. And that's that's not that's not good for them. It's not normal. Okay. So again, with these, it's primarily bacterial infections. Now, viral infections, uh, you can't uh, obviously treat with a, with an antibiotic. And so this is what's happening. This is the, the obviously the, the normal middle ear here. It's filled with fluid. Uh, the, the four little uh, bones there and there uh, don't, can't operate properly. And there's pressure on the membranes that are supposed to vibrate. So they don't vibrate normally. And therefore you don't hear properly. Okay, now what causes it? Well, there's a number of bacteria that are potentially uh, guilty. Uh, strep pneumonia is often because if you get a, a upper respiratory tract infection, with you know, strep pneumonia may be one of those that causes that. It may move up through the, the eustachian tube and into the middle ear. Haemophilus influenza again also very common cause of this uh, of, of ear infections. Uh, now prevention, there is uh, 
usually not, I don't know that they give this much to young children, but there is a pneumococcal vaccine uh, that uh, can be given. Um, treatment is normally to, unless it's really bad, you kind of, you know, maybe some amoxicillin, uh, but uh, you really would like to wait for it to resolve on its own if at all possible, but if that doesn't work, then you know, have to treat it. Uh, so the treatments are the same for the two. Now, there are other, are other potential bacteria that can cause this, uh, and again, at that point, you would have to test to see what bacteria are involved. Otherwise, you wouldn't know what, what to do. But uh, how many of you have kids? Anybody? Yeah, all right. So you've probably been through your infections. You know what it's like. It's, it's kind of a, something kids go through as they grow up. Don't you? You know what, or parents, more appropriately. I think it's harder on the parents than the kids. Okay, okay then we have uh, pharyngitis. Okay, uh, really what we're talking about here is an inflammation of the throat, which is normally strep throat. That's uh, what it is. So you get pain, swelling, the mucosa uh, swells, the tonsils swell. You may see some pus in there on, on the throat. Uh, this can affect swallowing. Uh, and not that you can't swallow, but it makes it uncomfortable to swallow. Uh, again, a not uncommon uh, disorder. Uh, this is kind of what it can look like. You look down in there, and, and that, that's just, just painful. It just hurts. Uh, it hurts to swallow, it, it, uh, and, uh, and it's also potentially dangerous. Okay? Um, this is a, a picture. Uh, this is from a heart. This is a heart valve. You can see the endocarditis um, here, which it can occur following strep throat. One of the reasons today, if you go to a, a doctor and you present with strep throat, they are going to immediately they don't wait. And now that we have the quick test, uh, used to be uh, even when they had to do a swab and then send it to the lab and about three days later they would get something back saying, yeah, that's what it is, they usually would start treating anyway because it is potentially dangerous. It can turn into, uh, 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 well, not dramatic fever, well, yeah, ultimately into rheumatic fever, but you get scarlet fever from it, which is a more systemic infection. Uh, and that is when you start getting into heart valve issues. So uh, strep throat is extremely uh, dangerous. Uh, it's mostly caused by strep pyogenes. That is the strep throat guilty party. Um, hygiene is about all that you can do. You're exposed to it. You're probably all exposed to it. You probably have some of it living on you. Uh, most of the time you don't get strep throat. Some people are more susceptible than others. Uh, the uh, penicillin is the typical uh, uh, drug that's used. It's effective, uh, unless of course you're allergic to penicillin, then they find something else. And uh, the bacterial form is usually more severe than the viral. Now, occasionally people get a viral form of strep throat. This is uh, much less. Uh, well, all you really can do is uh, symptom relief. Uh, it usually does not nearly as serious. Uh, does not go on to be scarlet fever or those other things that strep pyogenes can, can uh, get involved with. Uh, so what, as they say here, the, if you, the first thing they want to do is rule out the fact that, uh, rule out strep pyogenes. Okay, if, if they either get a positive for that, they're going to treat you right away. If they do not get a positive, then, then they're going to figure it's viral and it's not likely to be at that point. Okay. 
again, not an uncommon disorder. I, I had a, a colleague here, is no longer here, she moved on somewhere else. She used to get strep throat four to five times every year. She got it so much and so often that she could tell you the moment it started what it was going to be. Uh, she was that familiar with it. Uh, it may be that she was a carrier of strep pyogenes, which is probably infecting the rest of us. Um, now, this one, when we get to diphtheria, again, diphtheria is not something you see anymore. People haven't seen diphtheria much, for, at least in the United States, for a long, long time because the, the Tdap takes care of there, or what used to be the, uh, what was the old name? Uh, DP, DPT, that was the old name before the D was diphtheria. Uh, Tdap is still diphtheria. Uh, it's just a different uh, vaccine. Um, it, most of the symptoms are in the upper respiratory tract. Okay, so uh, the dangerous part of diphtheria and why it, it, it is occasionally fatal if, uh, in, in some instances is you get something called a pseudomembrane that forms on the tonsils and, or in the pharynx, which can actually inhibit breathing. Okay, and so this is why diphtheria is always dangerous. People still die around the world from diphtheria. We, we think diphtheria, well, nobody ever gets that anymore. And, and well, that is pretty much the case here. Uh, but it's not the case everywhere else in the world. Uh, Perinobacterium diphtheriae. Well, that's easy to remember, diphtheria. Obviously, that's diphtheria, okay? A lot of the, most of the names are not too hard to, to remember. Uh, it, uh, this is the false membrane that they talk about. You start to get this material adhering to the, uh, the tonsils and then down into the throat. Uh, and if it gets large enough, it obstructs the airways. Okay. That's the danger of diphtheria. Uh, before the vaccine, obviously, it was one of those diseases that most, well, many children got. Um, and then usually, once you had it, you were going to be immune like all the other bacterial things that we've all been exposed to in our lives. Some of them made you sick, some of them didn't, but you developed immunity and you never see them again. On you, somewhere else, yes. Okay, this was the origin of the uh, Iditarod sled dog race. There was a diphtheria outbreak in Nome. Um, they had the, uh, at that time, they didn't have a vaccine, but they had a serum for treatment. The serum was down toward Anchorage. And the only way to get it there is since it was winter. Uh, in the winter in Alaska, uh, not, there are no roads up through those areas at all. Uh, you can't go by boat because of the Arctic, the Bering Sea freezes over. So basically, uh, you're down to airplanes or snow machines. And uh, back at this time, they didn't really have those. Uh, so they sent it by sled dog. And they got there in time to save most of the people involved. Uh, there's a statue of the lead dogs, uh, Balto, I think, I'm trying to remember where it is. Is it in New York? Okay. Uh, although he wasn't really the lead for most for the whole run, but that's neither here nor there. Can I see an animated movie? Yeah, I don't know how I So this is, uh, it, it is very real. Um, and, uh, but this is what started the Iditarod sled dog race every year now, because what they're doing is replicating that, that run to home. Okay. Of course, it's much faster now than it was back then. They have much higher tech material. They breed the dogs. But 
I, I, some people think it's cruel to the dogs, but I have seen the dogs run. They cannot wait to go. When they're starting off, they have to hold them back. They're bred to run. That's what they want to do. You hook them up to a sled, they know what's coming. And all they want to do is go run. You know, They love it. Uh, that's, well, it's, it's not cruel to them. And they're pampered, even on the, in the race. Uh, if there's any kind of icy snow, they put booties on them. Cloth booties, they tie them one on at every foot of every dog. Uh, and they, uh, you know, at every stop, they make sure that they get fed first. Um, and and they, the snow doesn't bother them that much, the cold. They'll just curl up in the snow and let the snow, if it's snowing, they'll just let the snow cover them over, you know, or, you know, wrap their tail around their nose. And They're very hardy critters. Now, if you want to see something funny, now, it, besides uh, the, the uh, Diderot in Anchorage, they have a... Uh, uh, sprint races uh, earlier in the year uh, uh, for what they call for rendezvous. It's the time period when all the chapters and spring are put in. And so they have sprint races. One year, one guy uh, did the entire race with uh, poodles, standard poodles. Where he did well. He didn't win, but he did really well. Poodles are tough dogs. I don't know if anybody's ever had standard poodles. are pretty good size, and they're tough. Uh, they trained his poodles to run. <laughs> thought it was pretty funny now. <laughs> but, it, but it worked. Okay, so diphtheria. Um, droplet contact, people usually are coughing. Uh, and of course you can get it off, they touch things, you can pick it up. Those are fomites, if you remember that term. Um, the, uh, see the organisms. Um, treatment should be done immediately that it's considered that it might be diphtheria. You don't want to wait. Uh, there is a vaccine, obviously that's what we use now. And uh, there are antibiotics, and they would also use an antitoxin. It, it secretes, it has an exotoxin that it secretes. This is what causes the problem in the throat. And so they would administer an antitoxin as well as a uh, antibiotic. Now, again, in the United States today, this is not a common thing. It's pretty rare. Okay. Now we're going into diseases that affect both upper and lower. And then we'll have a section which is just lower respiratory. Um, so there are some that, that manage to do both. And the, these are the ones we're going to talk about the most. Uh, whooping cough, uh, there's a respiratory syncytial virus. We'll talk about what that means. Uh, and then, of course, our friendly old flu that we are, have to deal with every year. Okay, so whooping cough. Uh, whooping cough is a nasty disease, uh, really, really bad. Uh, again, it's there's a vaccine today. Okay, the Tdap takes care of this. Uh, it's uh, the organism is pertussis, so it's also called pertussis rather than whooping cough. Uh, it has several stages. Um, is anybody doing this in lab tonight? Whooping cough. Just, I don't want to do all of it if you're going to do it. Okay. Um, the first stage is. Uh, for the first uh, up to three weeks. And basically, uh, you get a runny nose, lasts for a while. Uh, but then it moves into what's called the proximal stage, and this is when you have uncontrollable coughing. Okay, this is where the name comes from. It's severe coughing, I mean, really coughing to the point that it makes your muscles hurt, um, and it's severe. Uh, it's to the point that they can't get a breath in between. 
And the name comes from that when they get an opportunity to take a breath, they take a deep breath and it makes, you hear a sound as they do that, and that's the whooping, whooping cough, okay? Uh, you can even burst blood vessels in, in the coughing fits. Uh, this lasts uh, for several days. And then it gradually, that goes away, and then there's usually a reconvalescent phase. People are left very weakened by this and need a convalescent stage. Now, again, not something that you see very often in the US. There have been a few cases in the past few years, uh, but it's quite rare uh, here. And so this is kind of your timeline. Uh, again, initial incubation of symptoms, and then you have this uh, uh, sneezing, runny nose kind of thing, lasts about two weeks, 10 days. Then you get into the repetitive coughing, which can actually last for almost two weeks. But it gets better over time, and then you have a convalescent phase until it's gone. Now, this used to kill many people, uh, many children. Uh, what happens, and the reason it's a problem, is the organism is Bordetella uh, pertussis, and it gets into the cilia, into the, in the trachea. So remember, it starts off runny nose and all that, so that's upper respiratory. Now we're down into the trachea, which is lower respiratory, so it's, it's both. What it does is it prevents the cilia from functioning, and therefore all that mucus that collects in the trachea isn't coming out unless you cough it out. And coughing is, that's our standard reflex to things to clearing the respiratory passages. That's what we do. Uh, sneezing is clearing the nasal passages. Those are, those are reflexes. You can't really stop them. Stop them. Well, you can try, but usually you can't stop those from happening. Um, and so that's why it causes the problem. It's the cilia. You can see the organisms right down here at the base of the cilia. It basically paralyzes the cilia. Uh, people, yes, that is a potential respiratory failure. Okay, so this is a number of uh, cases uh, up through what looks like about 2011, 1960. Uh, this is when the vaccine was developed in the mid-60s. Uh, when And you notice the number of cases dropped down to almost nothing. And now we're seeing a kind of a uh, up and down and up and down. And I'm not entirely sure what's going on with that, whether that's people who don't get vaccinated today or is the vaccine uh, not uh, complete for everybody. Uh, that is yet to be determined what's going on. So, uh, droplet contact, so it's highly contagious. I don't know, because you're coughing like crazy, so you're spreading those things all over the place. Um, there, the pertussis toxin, there's a cytotoxin and an endotoxin. Um, there is, as I mentioned, a, the uh, uh, vaccine. Uh, if you know that you've been around somebody who has started with it, they can immediately give you erythromycin which will prevent it from getting serious. Uh, otherwise, erythromycin is primarily what's given um, to try to lessen the, the uh, chances of it spreading to other individuals. Um, and then you support in supportive care. Now, you, like I said, you don't see whooping cough a lot anymore. Okay? But it was, at one time, uh, quite, quite dangerous and in other parts of the world still is. Now, when you take your dog to the kennel and they talk about kennel cough and you have to get a pertussis 
vaccine before they will let him they will board them. It is not the same organism, but it is a related organism. So dogs with kennel cough have a, a milder version of whooping cough. That's really what, what's going on. Because the organism that infects dogs is different than the one in us. Okay, so that's both upper and lower. Okay, respiratory syndicial virus infections. Obviously, clearly a virus. Okay. Uh, what it does is it causes cells to fuse together. And you get these giant cells with multinucleus. That is referred to as a syndicia. Okay, that's misspelled. Okay, uh, but uh, but syndicia is how that's pronounced. Uh, it should be a Y between the C and the T on it. And, and, they, and these occur in the respiratory tract. Uh, it is, as it says here, for newborns, this is one of the most common respiratory uh, disorders. Uh, fever for a few days, some rhinitis, pharyngitis. Uh, it, the serious infections give rise, you, know, you may have heard people talk about their babies had croup. You, I, you don't hear that term much anymore. Well. That's a that's the later stages or the more serious stages of this of this viral infection, uh, and, and since it is uh, and rails is uh, and wheezing, those are sounds, uh, lung sounds. Those of you that get into that, we go we'll talk about those, um, and so it is potentially uh, difficult for children uh, who have it. It's a virus, so you you have limitations. And so if for those that are at higher risk, there is a passive antibody that can be given. In other words, you know, uh, you're not going to wait for them to make all their own antibodies. You just give them some to begin with. Uh, very severe cases, they may give them an antiviral. Uh, but mostly, uh, it's going to be your own immune system that's going to have to, to deal with it. And usually does. So again, this is uh, both upper and lower. You look back, go back to the symptoms, fever, rhinitis, pharyngitis, and then you get the coughing that's both upper and lower. And then there's the famous influenza. It's been around every year. It's been around for, well, probably as long as humans just about have been around. Uh, it starts in, as an upper respiratory and then may become a lower respiratory infection, although not always. Uh, pretty quick uh, it, it, you know, to show up uh, if you've been exposed, and you know the you know what you get: headache, chills, pop, aches, stuffy nose, sore throat. Yeah, you know, the typical flu symptoms. Okay, uh, there is uh, it can make it can leave you very fatigued. Uh, so you may need to you know you know say I'm finally over. I got to go back to work. I got to go back to school, which is really probably not the best thing. You need a couple days to get to recover. We're not very good at that here in the United States, uh, taking care of ourselves like that. Um, this is uh, from the, uh, the pandemic in 1918, 1919. Uh, these are all people with the flu. There were more people killed by the flu, or actually many cases pneumonia following the flu, uh, than were killed in, uh, in, in Battle of World War I. And more Americans in the Army were killed by the flu than were killed actually in combat. Uh, they had no way of, they had nothing they could do. It's a viral infection. Uh, this was a particular virulent one. Uh, 
So there is, there's a couple of uh, viruses that do this. They uh, can get in, into uh, the, the lungs ultimately, which is why we consider this to be a both an upper and a lower. Now, each one of the, the viruses, uh, let me see, do I have a picture of them? Yeah, there's a picture. Okay, each of the virus particle has these little proteins on the outside. Uh, there, one is a hemagglutinin and the other one is a neuraminidase. And we'll go back here. Um, the neuraminidase is what gets them inside the cells. So it breaks down the mucus so that the virus can get up against the cells and get into them. Okay. Uh, the hemagglutinin is uh, what then allows them to attach to the cell and be pulled into the cell by endocytosis. And then they will start to reproduce, they'll kill that cell and they continue that over and over. Okay. Um, that's basically the flu. Now, there are different uh, uh, variations of each of these. So when you see that something is an, an M1H12, that means it's got type N neuraminidase and type 12 hemagglutinin. They're all different, you can have all different combinations. So if you, if you look at the, any of the uh, the reports when we're having the flu, they will all have an H something, N something, and that's how they actually keep track of the different strains. If, uh, and of course they mutate, that means the shapes change a little bit, so that what you were exposed to last year is different, you know, what comes this year is going to be different than that, and hence we have to have new vaccines every, every year. Um, so the genomes are pretty variable, as it says, mutations, uh, and, and this is basically how where they all they all start uh, in most of them start in Asia, where they first seem to arise. Um, here you have uh, a, a bird flu, okay, duck influenza, or it could be chickens, bird flu. Bird flu, for the most part, will not infect humans. Okay, and so far that seems to hold. The only humans infected by bird flu so far are those who have been. Uh, butchering animals that were infected, and they get it in through an opening in their skin. Uh, the uh, bird flu that they are concerned about right now has a very high fatality rate, about 50% of those who get it. But it's all been so far people who are, you know, and, and butchering the actually butchering the animals. Uh, it's not airborne. Okay. Uh, then we have a, a human virus here. Now both of these can get in, will infect pigs. Um, and in the pig, there could be some recombination and you end up with a virus that has both the human and the bird flu uh, uh, markers. And now this can, affect, this can infect humans. And that's where they come from. Now, in Asia, it's thought they start in Asia because in many of those, many of those areas, people live in very close proximity to their animals. And so there's relatively free exchange between humans and the so what, what they do for a vaccine uh, is, uh, since we have one regularly, is, well, right now, they are making determinations of which flu strains in Asia are going to make it into North America or into Europe next fall. Because you cannot wait until next fall to start making a vaccine. You have to start now to make enough vaccine for everybody that is going to need it. There have been a couple of years where they didn't have enough. Last year they had plenty. It's, uh, so they have to make an, a determination. It is a best guess. 
So some years they make better guesses than others. Okay, this year I saw several articles uh, about the flu not being effective in some areas or against certain strains that they did not predict even arrived here. So it's always a bit of a, a, a roll of dice to see what you get. But the flu is not going away. The flu is probably going to be around for a long time. Now, not a lot of people die directly from the flu. Uh, uh, however, very young children and elderly individuals are very prone to developing pneumonia as an after effect of the flu. And in, in the 1918 epidemic, more people died from the pneumonia that followed the flu than were directly killed by the flu itself. Most of those who died by, from the flu, it was their own immune system that did it. Uh, it had a, uh, they call a cytokine storm. It induces lots and lots of cytokines in the individual, and you get such a strong reaction that the reaction is what is almost, is almost deadly. So the flu, like I said, is something we're probably going to be going to be with us for the foreseeable future. Uh, treatment, uh, other than some antivirals, uh, that you just have a vaccine. That's all there is. Uh, they, uh, the antivirals can be somewhat effective, but I do recall that there were some articles this year about some, that one of the strains of the flu was becoming resistant to Tamiflu, because of Tamiflu on antiviral. Um, not surprising that that might happen. Uh, the other problem with the antivirals is you have to take them less than 48 hours after exposure for them to really be effective because they work by blocking the, the virus from entering cells. Well, if you're more than 48 hours, they've already entered cells. Uh, while they may allow you to get better sooner, you're still going to get sick. Okay. So those three then that we just went through are both upper and lower. So. Uh, whooping cough, which is Bordetella pertussis, the syncytial virus, we talked about there, and then the influenza, both upper and lower respiratory tract. Okay. Any questions about those? It's probably been mentioned in a lot of things. Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those uh, events that has wondered. Uh, because so many people were killed. There were several million people around the world were killed with this event. That, uh, what they call a pandemic because it spread over really the whole world. Uh, and they always worry that there's going to be another one. You, you know, we don't know. We don't know what's coming next year. was somewhat interesting for that flu, though, is that the healthiest people, middle-aged healthiest people, were more likely to die from the flu because they have stronger immune systems and have a stronger response, which was that they have during the day. Okay, now, now we move to lower respiratory tract. So here we're looking at the bronchi, the bronchioles, the lungs primarily. And tuberculosis is by far the major disease of the lower respiratory tract. Um, the, uh, we're 
actually pretty darn resistant to the organism. Uh, we've, many people are exposed. Many, most people never develop the, the disease. Um, so like it says there, only 5% actually develop uh, what we call the, the, you know, clinical tuberculosis. It progresses very slowly. Uh, mycobacteria have, as you, you may probably don't remember too much about this, they have a unique cell wall. Their cell wall is embedded not with so much peptidoglycan, there's a little bit, but it's mostly a, a type of lipid called mycolic acid. They have a very different kind of cell wall, so they, uh, uh, they act differently. They tend to reproduce uh, tuberculosis. Cell division takes a, a, a minimum of 24 hours for, for that. Now, for a bacterium, for a microbe, that's a long time. When we talk about E. coli, it was 20 to 30 minutes. You know, 24 hours is really quite long. So infections tend to progress rather slowly uh, with this. And we divide it up into three types, of, three levels of tuberculosis, primary, secondary, and then uh, disseminated. So primary is when you're first exposed. Uh, initially, probably no symptoms, maybe a fever, but probably no symptoms. Uh, your immune system goes after this pretty well. Uh, they send uh, cells, uh, monocytes and phagocytes into the lungs. And they form what are called tubercles. Now, tubercles are when these cells surround the mycobacterium uh, and essentially begin to wall it off from the rest of the lung. Now, they, these areas tend to uh, uh, create some lesions that heal uh, by actually form calcifying there. And this is why you can see them on x-rays so well. So your immune system is pretty good at handling this. It would imply that it's uh, been in contact with us for a very, very long time uh, in, in evolutionary sense. Uh, and at this time, you would uh, have a tuberculin reaction, even though you may have stopped it. Uh, you would have a tuberculin, and you will for the rest of your life because you have antibodies, which is what the tuberculin reaction tests for. Test you have antibodies. Anybody who's ever been exposed is going to have antibodies. Positive on that test for the rest, usually the rest of your life. Now, um, so this is a uh, does not form endospores. The mycolic acid very slow. It tends to be protected uh, from being broken down after being phagocytized. Uh, you can't. You know, that's what the acid fast staining. Remember we talked about that in lab. You can't stain them with the normal gram stains or any of that. They have a special staining technique. It's the same technique we would use for uh, uh, Hansen's disease, uh, it's a, which is a mycobacterium as well. Uh, but this is uh, tuberculosis here. Now, uh, the cell wall component, uh, you get some uh, virulent strains. Uh, and, and this is what, these are, this is an image showing tuberculosis uh, and tuberculosis growing in lung tissue. That would be an acid-fast staining technique to see that. And so, as I mentioned, we have three kinds. So the initial infection is called primary tuberculosis. Now, sometimes after the active infection has stopped, it reactivates and starts up again. And that's when we then it's called secondary tuberculosis. Um, so basically, you were initially infected. You had a period where there was no symptoms. 
then you had some active uh, symptoms, that stops, it goes dormant, and it may be years. If it becomes reactivated, then that's called secondary tuberculosis. Uh, and so here's just kind of a, a diagram of what goes on. So you, uh, you inhale them, and the little pink things here are the uh, mycobacteria. Macrophages pick them up, uh, and this starts the formation of a what's called a tubercle. Uh, here you get the necrosis in the middle. Now, secondary usually occurs when this structure ruptures. It may never rupture, but if it does, then the mycobacteria that were still inside of here will escape, and you'll get a, a secondary tuberculosis infection. Yes? It can just be there for two years. Well, they're still getting some nutrients through there. Yeah, they can they survive for quite a long time. All right, now, if the infection spreads to other parts of the body, that's disseminated tuberculosis. And uh, generally, uh, this is when it becomes serious, and this is what people usually die from. Uh, if you've read any of the uh, older novels written back in the 1800s or early 1900s, the heroine always dies of consumption. You know, well, consumption meant tuberculosis. That's just what they called it. It meant they had tuberculosis, uh, and they were in the later stages of it. Okay. Now, cases declining in the United States, for the most part. There was an outbreak in New York about 15 years ago that was kind of killed off pretty well. Uh, but it is pandemic in the rest of the world. Two million people a year probably die from tuberculosis. Some of the sources we have will say that tuberculosis has killed more people than any other single bacteria. Uh, if you have a lowered immunity, you're at greater risk. Obviously, I mean, anytime your immunity is down, you're at greater risk for a lot of things, but that includes this. Uh, so basically, it's diagnosed with the, the skin test tells you that, okay, you may have been exposed, and then they do x-rays, because it shows up as dark spots on the lungs uh, in the x-ray. The lungs are pretty much mostly air, so most of the x-rays go deep right on through, and they, look, they should look clear uh, when you start to see spots on them, the darker areas. Now, that could be things other than tuberculosis, but that's one of the things you would see. Um, usually they use a combination of different antimicrobials in order to stop the epidemic in uh, New York. The biggest problem they had is many of the people who were, had it were homeless. Uh, they didn't take their medication, you know, give them medication, but they can't guarantee they're going to take it. They actually set up a buddy system. They had a guy who his job was to go visit these people every single day and make sure they took their drugs. And he would usually they would give them some kind of, like, uh, and familiar, you know, some kind of uh, nutritious drink, milk, you know, drink, and then he would go to the next person and make sure they took all of their drugs. Because when you're on this multi-antimicrobials, you may be taking 10 and 15 pills a day. Um, now, generally speaking, this is the, the since much tuberculosis is uh, resistant to some antibiotics, some are multi-drug resistant. Uh, that's basically how it's how it's handled. States. 
you what? You know? Oh. Well, people die of any number of, it uh, depends on the individual. Uh, it could be 15 years, it could be, you know, it could be years, uh, could be less. Tuberculosis was a slow disease, uh, particularly because the primary uh, stage, you could be at that in the end of that primary stage, you could sit at that for years, and it doesn't spread until something happens or causes that interruption. So it, it could be a long time, or it might not. There isn't a specific number. Uh, there is a vaccine available uh, today. Uh, it's not given most places anymore. They're not sure how good, well it works, but people who are at risk uh, they are, are often vaccinated. It's not given in the United States, but that vaccine, it is used in Europe. Um, but again, if you're not sure how well it works, well, what's the point of the vaccine? Um, so this is the tuberculin test. This is what happens if you have been, if you have antibodies, you get this kind of a reaction. Uh, and then this is what you see on the, uh, on the, the x-rays. That's a confirmation after this, that yes, there is active tuberculosis. Now, you may get this kind of response, you take the x-rays and you may see nothing on the x-rays. The person may simply not have active tuberculosis. Um, it does, can spread outside the lungs and it can see all the different places it can go. Usually this is fatal, this happens. It's pretty unusual. It's uh, well, again, mostly immune-suppressed individuals and very young children. Again, the young children here are not likely to get tuberculosis, but in other parts of the world, it's very, they may very well. So this is the, the primary one right here. It's an airborne, um, and people with it cough, so it's easily spread. Um, you uh, basically, prevention is to avoid it, uh, the vaccine in places other than the U.S., and these are the, some of the drugs. Asanazid, uh, uh, Rapampin, Embutol, uh, Streptomycin. They'll, they'll use them off and on, different ones. They'll change them up. Uh, and usually you're looking at a fairly long time, uh, literally months, that you're going to be on these drugs. Okay. Um, so almost all TB is from this, uh, what you see. Now, there is a Mycobacterium avium. It's a bird form, an avian form. Rarely ever shows up in humans, except in AIDS patients. Those are their weakened immune response. So apparently this is something that uh, it really doesn't get uh, ever established in humans other than in those uh, unusual circumstances. Okay, now, yes. That's the problem. It's not very. The, the exact effectiveness of it is, is a question right now. Uh, I think they would. Uh, that people are maybe working on a newer one that would be more effective. But um, you know, we remember the video we had about why companies don't work on vaccines. Uh, vaccine is something you give somebody once and you're going to treat them again. Uh, where is the money? Drugs that they're going to take the rest of their lives. That's where the cash is. But as a business model, you know, 
that's that's problematic. All right, pneumonia. Pneumonia is not that uncommon. Uh, pneumonia is not a specific organism. We're going to see that there are many organisms that cause it. What it means is that you have an inflammatory process going on in the lungs, and fluid accumulates in the alveoli. That's pneumonia. What, regardless of what's causing it, okay, what organisms could be any number of organisms, but pneumonia is, that is defined by that. Uh, as a rule, viral pneumonias are not as dangerous as bacteria. Okay, so they start off upper respiratory tract. They may be a follow-on to the flu. In some cases, many people may develop uh, pneumonia after getting as they're getting over the flu. Uh, get a headache, fever, um, and then you get the symptoms from the lungs. You get pain, fever, cough up, uh, sputum that is colored, greenish, sometimes there's some blood in it, uh, and uh, that means you're in pneumonia. This is a, a look at organisms. This is a lung tissue sample. You see lots of little, little guys in here. These are uh, all going to be uh, streptococcus pneumoniae, mostly. Uh, used to be called back when uh, the 1920s when uh, Frederick Griffiths was doing his research with the mice. If you remember that, we talked about it was that. Then it was called diplococcus because they're, they always like to hang out with them. Okay, okay. yes? Now, these are uh, our cultures of them. Uh, most of these uh, streptococcus pneumoniae uh, on blood auger will actually use up all of the hemoglobin, and you'll get this kind of hemolysis. That's usually an active indicator uh, of, of what you have. And so basically what's causing the problem is the in inflammation in here. If you remember inflammation, blood vessels dilate, more fluid leaks out of them, where's the fluid going to go? It goes into the air sacs, into the alveoli. And then, of course, when they start getting fluid in them, air can't get in. Okay. Um, this is just uh, an alveolus that's filled with uh, uh, fluid and uh, cells. And so we have early symptoms, we have later symptoms. Now, um, this. Uh, so we're going to look at what are some of the organisms that can cause pneumonia. One of them is the hantavirus. Um, it uh, is fairly rare in the U.S. It happens mostly, again, in the Four Corners region where it's dry. It gets picked up from rodents. The, uh, it's called the hantavirus. Uh, there's also a sinombre virus. Um, and it, it produces pneumonia. Uh, it, you, Basically, you're inhaling dust that's contaminated with the feces or saliva of these rodents. Uh, it gets into the body and infects cells that line the capillaries. Capillaries break, they leak fluid into the lungs. Uh, uh, basically, 40% of patients die from it. There are cases every year in the United States, mostly out in the western part of the country. Uh, that's something you're likely to find, although not impossible around here, mostly out in the dry areas. But, uh, because. Uh, Nests, you know, they may be abandoned, but they, everything dries out and it gets very dusty. Uh, there's a cute little guy that causes the problem. So, uh, 
it's, uh, it's a relatively recent, so it's considered an emerging disease. Uh, almost all cases west of the Mississippi, deer mice. First to person spread is almost unknown. So it's mostly from the, uh, the, the mice, from the rodents to humans. No, because they live in the water, and this uh, has to have this most spreads through a dry, not dry, dusty environment. Capybaras are mostly water rodents. Okay, that would probably not not do well in that. Okay, so here's uh, where most of the cases are. Uh, and you can see most of them are in Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado. This this area, a few in Utah. There has been one in Virginia, uh, and that I don't know what the date. This is as of. Uh, uh, June of uh, 2012, so this is about four years old. But you can see that on, on the East Coast, it's almost unheard of. Okay. It's mostly in here. You do see some in, you know, here in California as well. Okay. Now, another thing that can cause pneumonia is SARS, Sudden Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Um, when this occurred, you'll notice that most of the initial numbers of people were healthcare workers that came down with it. They were taking care of people who had it. Uh, it didn't spread that much in the community because those people were hospitalized and it was, it was healthcare workers that ended up with the, much of it. Uh, so this was in, uh, oh, it's been at least 10 years ago now. Uh, it started in the West Coast. It started actually in, around Vancouver, Canada. Uh, and, up, and even into over in the eastern part of Canada, uh, nobody knew what it was at the time. It was a new virus, brand new virus. Uh, people would get sudden acute respiratory syndrome. Sudden people would come down very suddenly with this. A uh, number of people died. Uh, no idea what's causing it. And eventually, they were able to isolate the virus. Uh, and uh, it, whoops, oh, that's, I don't have a picture. But it, the, the virus has a, uh, the virus particle in the middle and then there's kind of like a ring around the outside, like the corona around the sun, and that's where that's why it's called coronavirus. Okay, today uh, MERS, which is out in, which is in the Middle East, is very similar. It is also a coronavirus. But the problem here is they cause pneumonia. Okay. Then we have mycoplasmal pneumonia. Uh, this one's a difficult one. Now, let me show you the cells. These are the cells. They have no cell walls. Mycoplasmas are little tiny bacteria with no cell walls. The only way they survive is by going inside of cells, other cells. Uh, and so they do tend to spread where there's crowding. Uh, this is what you might call in a hospital, somebody has walking pneumonia. They come in and yeah, they got pneumonia, but they're still going to work, they're still functional. Uh, you know, they're not flat on their back or anything. Uh, it tends to take a long time to get rid of. Uh, because many of our antibiotics that affect cell walls aren't going to work. They don't have any cell walls. So that right away eliminates all of those as possible uses. Uh, tetracycline and erythromycin are most often given. Uh, now, they're bacteriostatic for these organisms. That means they don't kill them. They simply inhibit their growth. And so your immune system still has to get rid of them. Still going to be that's going to be required. So that's kind of what they look like. Uh, 
This is mycoplasmal pneumonia over here. Now here, we have chlamydial pneumonia. Chlamydia can also cause pneumonia. Okay? A pneumonia, again, remember what pneumonia is. It's simply an inflammatory process in the lungs. It could be caused by any number of organisms. Okay? And so this is kind of a, a list of some of them here. Uh, I'm going to talk about each one. Streptococcus pneumonia is probably the, the that's the standard pneumonia organism that we talk about. Uh, there's Legionella, Legionnaire's disease. If you, you remember that or if you heard of that, uh, it uh, is fairly mild, but in older individuals, and again, immunocompromised or older individuals, it can be uh, more serious. Uh, it's called Legionnaire's disease because it, it was the very first time it was found was in a got sick at an American Legion convention, I think it was in Philadelphia, um, and again, they didn't know what it was. Uh, when they found it was, it likes to live in, in, the, in the water, and they found it on, you know, up on the top of big buildings and big cities, that's where they put the air conditioners, air conditioning, air handlers, and underneath them, there's always a hand to collect the water as it drips, and there they like to be, and uh, it's right near the air handlers, so they get picked up into the, uh, the system spread around, and uh, that's where you can find them. There have even been some outbreaks in hospitals of that. Uh, again, you can, there, there's treatment for it. Um, mycoplasma, generally not treated. Hantavirus, there isn't a lot you can do. This supportive care in SARS. The histoplasma and pneumocystis are actually uh, fungal uh, disorders, uh, and uh, so there are some fungal pneumonia cases as well, or types. Again, anything that gets into the lung, starts to grow, will cause an inflammatory process, which will result ultimately in pneumonia. Uh, and then there's nosocomial pneumonia. This is uh, hospital acquired. Uh, this is usually comes from the person inhaling something you know, maybe they vomit or they spit up and they end up and they uh, aspirate. And they end up and that aspirate goes down in the lungs and causes a problem. Uh, so basically all they can do is culture the, the blood fluids. They stick a, stick a tube down through, through your mouth, your throat, down through into the uh, trachea, down into the lung. That's all they can do. Uh, the test for antibiotics are the typical response. And so that is uh, okay. Uh, those are that is the respiratory system. So when we look at respiratory, what you want to do when you when you start to put that together is separate them into upper, upper and lower and lower, okay, uh, 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 disorders because they're they're quite they're they're very different from each other. Um, anything that causes uh, that ends up with lung involvement is definitely lower. Some are also upper and lower, as we talked about. If it never gets beyond the, basically the throat, then it's an upper respiratory disorder. Which are the more common ones? Because you're inhaling, you don't know what you're inhaling every day. I mean, you know, who knows? Uh, you sit in your house on a nice afternoon and you, the sun's coming through the window and if you get the angle just right, you see this all this stuff floating around in the air. Well, you're inhaling that with every, every impulse. Dust, mold spores, pollen, 
bacteria, viruses, all kinds of stuff. Dust mites we eat. So, uh, but respiratory is one of the most common. And so, what you'll I think you'll see is as we go through these, most of the disorders of the respiratory system are more commonly known because they, they tend to occur more often. Okay. Well, then I guess I'll stop there, and uh, we will. Uh, I'll meet up in the lab in a little bit. We'll start on our presentations for the night. If there, anybody has their paper, their uh, desk and hasn't turned it in yet, please drop it off. Um, and I'll see you in the lab. We have two more lectures on diseases, so uh, Monday and Wednesday and next week. And we're almost done. I'm ready for the semester. Somebody's pen or pencil? Not mine. Yeah, they probably wiped it with some kind of organism to see who gets sick. I guess this is mine. Okay, that's fine. So it's just your own, your own organism. You can. I don't know who else may, but we'll, we'll sort it out. I mean, there's no certainly if nobody else does your phone call. Somebody's got to be first, and somebody has to be last.